0: The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com.
1: This is our third lesson, I guess, in in our church membership class. And Pastor started the first one off with an introduction. We started last week discussing uh, the importance of the church. And so I want to back up and just discuss what our goals should be as we enter into a subject like this. Um, because I think it's important to, that you know that my goal in this class, our goal in this class is not that you just think the same way that we do about everything. Okay? The, the goal isn't that you decide that whatever the pastor says is right, and I'm just going to obey whatever they say. Okay? Um, and so when I thought about what our goals would be... I, my goal is that people can leave a class like this one and say that I believe my position on church membership, my status as a, as a member or not as a member, is according with the teaching of Scripture and is pleasing to God. So my goal is that as you walk away from this class after six weeks of talking about church membership, is that you can say, I believe that my status as a member or not a member of the church, my, my belief about church membership is in accordance with what the scripture says and is pleasing to God. If you can walk away from this class doing that, then praise the Lord. That's, that's what we want. Okay? I'd like you also be able to say, I believe my position on church membership is most beneficial for others at the church I attend, is most beneficial for my own spiritual growth, and allows me to use my gifts and abilities to serve Christ and his body. And so if you can say those things, that, that it's beneficial for the church around you, that it's beneficial for yourself, that, that you're being able to use your gifts and your abilities um, well at the church, and that ultimately it's pleasing to God in accordance with scripture, then that's what we want. So... We spoke last week about foundations and footings. Um, The church was instituted by Christ. It was his idea. He's the one that, that started the whole thing. The church membership was vital and necessary for the church in the first century. Right? So we, we got that it was important for the early church, those people who were suffering greatly, who had no other place to turn to, who needed to know the truth and, and to grow. And it just it, the, the concept of the church, the idea of the church, was just a brilliant way of helping people to grow and to learn. And so we got last week that it was important in the first century. And then we began last week to talk about why it's essential in our own lives today. That in the 21st century, church membership is vital and necessary. And the starting point of this discussion is obviously the importance of the church, because if the church isn't important, then church membership isn't important, right? And so we tried to establish last week that the church was vitally important. It was instituted by Christ, um, it was. It, half of the New Testament is written to the church and to local churches in particular. Okay, Paul wrote. His letters primarily to either the church or to leaders of the church to explain how the church should be organized. And so we, we find in the Bible, the church is very important, but the question becomes for a lot of people, well, can't I be member of, a member of the universal church and not necessarily be a member of the local church? And so what is the difference between the universal church and the local church? <coughs> Okay, because certainly we can establish that the church is important, but isn't it enough just to say that I'm a member of Christ, I'm, I'm saved, I'm, I'm with him, and someday I'll be with him, I'm, I'm a member of the universal body of Christ. Well, what is the universal church? When Jesus speaks about the church, he spoke about it twice, and he spoke about it in two different ways. So in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, he, said, he tells Peter that, upon this rock I will build my church. And when he says that to Peter, we don't assume he's saying upon uh, upon this rock he's going to build this specific local church in Jerusalem and then all the rest will be kind of built on different rocks, right? The assumption there is that it's upon that rock that he would build his church universal. Okay? So he's speaking about the universal church there. But then in Matthew 18 when he speaks, he says in Matthew 18:17 if he shall neglect to hear them, speaking about uh, forgiveness and, and somebody who had sinned and um, confronting that person who has sinned, and so first you go to them specifically one-on-one with that person, then you take two people, and if you neglect to hear those two people, then tell it to the church. And if you neglect to hear the church, then um, make him unto thee as a heathen and a publican. Now in that case, it can't be speaking about the, local, the universal church, can it? Right? There's no way that Jesus is saying if, if this person sins against you and you speak to them dire- directly and then you take another brother or sister in Christ and you speak to them and then if that doesn't work, then make sure you tell everybody who's ever been a part of the universal body of Christ about it. Right? It doesn't make any sense at all. It has to be a local church. And so Jesus kind of is making that already the first two references to a church in the New Testament, uh, there is a distinct, distinction between the universal and the local church. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, speaking of Jesus, Paul writes, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's saying that Jesus is the head of the universal church. But we see in 1 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians, in Romans, in Galatians, in Ephesians, in Philippians, in, Philippians, in Colossians, in 1 and 2 Thessalonians, that at some point, Paul makes reference to the local church that he's speaking to. Okay, and I'm making this point because I want you to understand that, that there are both there, and I don't want us to say, well, this membership is important. It's important to be a member of the universal church, but it doesn't really matter much about the local church. Okay? We look at the, the word church, ecclesia, and the body, it's a called out assembly. And so a called out assembly, certainly there is, there is a universal called out assembly, but out of the 115 times that the word ecclesia appears in the New Testament, about 105 of those times is referring to a local Sure. So about 90% of the time, it's a called-out assembly. So a, a group of people who have been called out by God and then assembled together somewhere. That's, that's the idea of a, a local church. And that's what's usually referred to in the New Testament. So I don't want us to say that universal is important and local is not. Once we establish that the local church is important, we can say that local church membership is important if the church is important and the Bible indicates we ought to be members of it. Okay. So we can, we can probably all agree that the church is important and even that the local church is important, but does the Bible indicate that we ought to be members of it? And I got a great question last week. Uh, It it just kind of encouraged me because it's right along saying this is along the lines that we're headed. The question was, why do I have to be a member my name on a paper to serve, love, care, sacrifice, etc. Why can't I just show commitment through my actions? It's okay, a great question. Is it possible to be at a church and just throw, show commitment through your actions to, to share and to serve and to love and to care and to sacrifice for? Well, the truth is you don't have to be a member to serve, love, care, or sacrifice for. Right? In fact, if you're a believer in Christ, I think you ought to be doing that wherever you go. Doesn't matter what location you're at, serving and loving and caring should be something that just marks your life as a believer. So the question isn't can you do these things? The question is is church membership biblical? Okay, in the introduction, Pastor made mention of the fact that there are a lot of people who are enjoying the benefits of marriage without actually getting married. Okay? Now, if I was a person who wasn't Trying to just follow what the Bible said about marriage, then what I would do is I would say, Well, listen, if I if I'm gonna get married, it's gonna cost me five, ten, fifteen, one hundred grand. <laughs> okay? Weddings can be very expensive at times. And so it's gonna cost me a lot of money to go through this whole thing. Plus, I have to get all my friends together and then they have to get me a gift, and, and it's just this big hassle for everybody, and we have to get all these court papers signed. And and you know what I, I think that I can just, just do this without the official ceremony, right? I can, I can make a commitment to you and then I can act like I'm supposed to act. And, and I can see why that is a rational position, okay? But the question is not, is it possible to try and act like a husband or act like a wife without actually going through the official ceremony? Because the answer is yes. It is possible to act that way. The question is, does the Bible want you to be married? Okay, does, does, does God institute marriage and then does he expect that there's some type of covenant or commitment that's made formally between this couple? And what's interesting is, I think as Christians talking about that question, our answer would be yes. Okay, the Bible does expect that we're going to make that. But when we start to speak about what that formal commitment looks like, Okay, what is a ceremony supposed to look like? What words do you say? The Bible's silent on that. I mean, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. And that's, that's basically all we have. At some point, there's supposed to be this joining together. But but how you do that ceremony or what that looks like or or what papers that name gets put on is really irrelevant to the question of, should you get married? The answer is yes, you should get married. But how exactly that happens is kind of up for debate or it's based on your culture. And so... The fact that you should get married married, doesn't change the fact that the Bible doesn't say exactly how it's supposed to happen. The fact that you can be committed without going through a formal ceremony doesn't change the fact that the formal ceremony is important. There's a formal commitment, a formal ceremony. And so when we speak about membership, and and I'm not not trying to say that I've just answered that entire question right there. I, I hope that this kind of lesson helps to answer that question as we go. And again, if you have questions as we go, please, please ask them. Um, but what I'm saying is, we got to begin at the place of not, can I do this or can I rationalize it? But what does the Bible say? Because ultimately, we want to get to the place where we can all say, I believe my position on church membership is in accordance with the Bible and is pleasing to God. So, my definition of membership, it's adapted from Jonathan Lehman, is that church membership is a formal relationship between a local church and a Christian characterized by the church's affirmation and oversight of a Christian's discipleship and the Christian's commitment to living out his or her discipleship in the care of the church. I think it's important, so I'm going to say it again. Church membership is a formal relationship between a local church and a Christian characterized by the church's affirmation and oversight of the Christian's discipleship and the Christian's commitment to living out his or her discipleship in the care of the church. And so church membership is a formal commitment, and it's about the church taking specific responsibility for you. The church affirming you as a believer in Christ, and the church taking oversight or or responsibility for your growth and your discipleship. And the church membership is is about you taking specific responsibility for the church. So you join yourself to it, and it says, the church says, we will now watch over, hold you accountable, we'll, we'll kind of be an oversight of your growth. And and you, and you as you join yourself to it, you say, and I will do the same for you. Right? And so it is this, this type of commitment to one another. And so now what I... I want to talk about is just how do we defend that then in scripture? How do we look to scripture and say, okay, it it does really seem like in the Bible, there is formal church membership. There, There is, and certainly, like I said, every culture is going to do this differently, but there looks to be something like... A church keeping a membership role, knowing who its members are, and having those members having made commitments to the church, and having the church made commitments to the members. And so what I want to do is not just cherry-picking one verse. I want to take multiple lines of evidence that point in the same direction. The first line of evidence is this. The church is to be organized. The church is to be organized. Now we have in society a lot of people that say they, they hate organized religion. Right, And I, to extent, I, I get that pushback that like, it becomes like a business. Okay? And we don't want church to ever become like a business. Uh, we spoke about that last week. The church is much more like a family. However, it is a family that is organized. Okay? Even within the family, God gave specific responsibilities and, and specific roles for family members. And it's the same way in the church. The church is to be organized. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, Paul wrote, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. So we should expect God to be the author of peace, or what is something that is, that is organized and flows and consistent and makes sense, and not somebody who is the author of something that is confusing. We should expect Order. 1 Corinthians 14.40, he goes on to say, let all things be done decently and in order. And that is all things be done in the church, decently and in order. That's what he's speaking about. And then Paul made sure to set up the church authority structure. So in Acts chapter 14, we have the record of Paul's authority. Uh, first missionary journey, and he goes out to Derby and Listeria and Iconium all over the, the province of Galatia. He establishes churches there. And then after being beaten and almost killed at every single place he goes to, he determines that on his way back, rather than taking the easy route back over land, he is going to travel back to all the churches that he established or all the places that he went and was, was an evangelist to make sure the church was set up properly. And so in Acts chapter 14, verse 23... It says, and when Paul ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. So Paul goes back and he ordains elders in every church. So he, he looks at the church, whom he knows who is a part of that church, and he ordains elders in the church. He sets up the organization of the church. In the book of Titus, we see Paul sending Titus to organize a church on Crete. Titus chapter 1, verse 5, he says, For this cause I left left thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I appointed thee. I want you to go back to the church that started, but it's just disorganized, it's in chaos, it's confusion, it's disorder, and I want you to get it organized. I want you to to ordain elders to set things in order. Uh, In 1 and 2 Timothy Paul wrote to tell Timothy how to properly shepherd the church in his care. In 1 Timothy 3.15, he says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. So it's important that, that there are elders, that there's an, a church governance, that there is church polity, and that there's uh, a specific type of behavior that happens among church members and with within the church. So, that's, the church is to be organized. Um, the second line of evidence that points the, to a formal church membership is the early church seemed to know who its members were. So, we have, on a number of occasions, a numerical record of what's going on within the church. How many people are added to the church? Okay, It's not just a a, a random group of people. It's a certain number of people. And then in Acts chapter 6... When the church has grown quite a bit, we have these Greek-speaking widows who are being forsaken. Now, now you think about this scenario. You have a church that has grown immensely, and now they have a program set in place. And so, are, are programs biblical? Well, I mean, yeah... Every time you start to like set up anything, it eventually becomes some kind of program, the question is, does the program glorify God? Is it going in the right direction? All those things. And so they have this program where they, they take care of widows within the church. And now there are these men who are Greek speaking, so they're not, they're not Hebrew in their original language. and they come and they come to the leaders of the church and they say, "Hey, listen, nobody is take care, taking care of our widows." So the program that's set about, to take care of the members of the church, to take care of this, this body here, is forsaking this group of ladies within the church. Well, I mean, that, that, that's a very difficult thing to do if you don't know which ladies you're supposed to take care of. Right? So if so somebody's attended the church once or twice, then are they, are they now ladies that you take care of? What if they attend three different churches? Who's responsible for taking care of those ladies? Right? But it does make sense if those ladies have come to Christ, been baptized, made some kind of formal commitment to this this church, and now we say, okay, those people are now in our care, and if we're not taking care of them like we ought to, then we should find a way to rectify the problem. And so that's what they do. They look out among them, which means they specifically knew who they were looking out on, and they chose seven men who had different qualifications and put them in, a, in, in authority to make sure that that job got done. And again, all that whole process is very difficult if you don't know who your members are. So who does the choosing of those seven men? Who are From what pool of people do we choose from? But because we know this is the church, because these are the people that have made commitment, we know then who goes out, looks, and, and makes the choice. So... The early church seemed to know who its members were. The third line of evidence is the believers knew who they were accountable to. The believers knew who they were accountable to. So Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 and 25 says, Let us consider one another to, prov- to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And so, so we have commands to be accountable to one another. And the Bible tells us that part of that, part of my responsibility between one another, is that I need to exhort and encourage you to love and good works. Okay, so I want to make sure that you're growing, you're doing the right thing, and if you're messing up, then I talked about that. But I can, I constantly encourage you to to try and be more like Christ, and if you're not showing up at church, then I go and get you, and I say, you know what, I I want to um, push you to be involved in the church, not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together, so church attendance, well, exactly how do you know who to push to attend the church if if those people have never made any kind of commitment to the church? So if somebody's come a certain number of times or a certain number of times in a row, all of a sudden that person becomes somebody you push toward it? No. I mean, it makes a lot of sense if that person steps out and says, listen, I want you to keep me accountable. And as soon as you se- you make that commitment to me and I make that commitment to you, then these verses make sense. Okay? These are the people we keep accountable. Mark Dever said, church membership is our opportunity to grasp hold of each other in responsibility and love by identifying ourselves with a particular church we let the pastors and other members of the local church know that we intend to be committed in regular attendance giving prayer and service we allow fellow believers to have great expectations of us in these areas and we make it known that we are the responsibility of this local church we assure the church of our commitment to christ in serving with them and we call for their commitment to serve and encourage, as well. Okay? So there is this commitment that we've made. Number four, the believers knew who to rebuke. So in 1 Timothy five twenty, Paul tells Timothy, "Them that sin, rebuke before all, that others also may fear." Well, do you think he was encouraging Timothy to go out in the street and to try and find? unrepentant, unregenerate sinners and bring them in church and then rebuke them before everybody. I mean, would that make any sense at all? No, clearly not. And so it does, it seems like every single time, and and it happens over and over and over again in the New Testament, that the church is told to deal with the sin of people, that that there's an assumption that you know that these people have have made a commitment to the church, that they're members of the church. You don't just deal with an unsaved person's sin. That, that's really not what they need to be brought in, in and embarrassed in front of the church. Right? The people that need that are the people that have made commitment to do that. And then the process of church discipline has got to the point where it, it, it can, it, it has to be brought before the church. Okay? And so the believers knew who to rebuke. Uh, in Titus 1.13 uh, Paul told Titus, this witness is true, wherefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. And so he's speaking to, to the members of the church in Crete, and he says, there's, there's a problem with people in Crete, and they seem to be lazy and evil and, and all these things. And this witness is true, it does happen quite often, so make sure you bring them and you rebuke them. Okay? So that they will be sound in the faith. And then we have, and we're going to get into this in a, in, a, in a couple lessons, but the whole issue of church discipline and how that functions and how that is just impos- impossible to have that function correctly without church members. Okay, so the believers knew who to rebuke. The believers made a commitment to honor and to submit to specific local authority. So they made a commitment to honor and to Submit to specific local authority. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 7 says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow considering the end of their conversation. And so he tells the church there, you got to remember them. You have to remember those who have been put in a position of authority over you. They have spoken to you the word of God and you see their faith, and you see their conversation, or you see their lifestyle, you see how they're living, and so remember them, give honor to them, all right? And and so if, if the writer of Hebrews is writing this to somebody who has not made any type of commitment to any specific leader, then exactly who is it that's speaking the word of God to them? Is that the person that they've listened to on the internet a few times on YouTube? I mean, that's, there's no problem with going on YouTube and listening to a great sermon, but who is he speaking about? Is there some kind of commitment that these are, the, these are the people that you should honor, that you should submit to? Or do you submit to just every leader who's ever preached to you? No, it does seem like there's some type of specific commitment there. In, in 1 Corinthians, we hear very specifically that if there's a person who is laboring the gospel, then the people that they labor to ought to care for their needs. That that's right to do. Well, who is going to care for whose needs? It's going to be the members of the church caring for the needs of the people who watch over them, who shepherd them. And so that brings me to the very next point, which is the elders knew who to shepherd and who they would give an account for. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 says, "Obey them." This this is again speaking to the members of the church. Obey them that have rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. As they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. So he looks out and he says, Remember to obey and submit to those who have rule over you, who, who God has put in a position of spiritual authority in your life. Why? Because those people will give an account for you. Well, who exactly are the, the pastors and the elders of the church going to give an account for? Are we going to give an account for every person who's ever walked through these doors? I, I really hope not. That would be awful. No, we're going to give an account for those who have made a commitment to be, to be in submission, to um, <laughs> commit themselves, to serve and to love and to be a part of this place. And so we make a commitment back to them to try and shepherd and to guide and to preach the word of God and, and all those things. But when, when it, this is all left in the air, none of it seems to make sense. 1 Peter 5 verse 1 Peter tells the elders which are among you, I exhort who am also an elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. And so there's specific instructions to elders to be examples, to feed, to care for, to shepherd, to guide, all of these things to a specific flock of God which is among them. So you're not responsible for the Christian living down your street or your neighbor or anybody else, but you are responsible for the church, the people that God has put underneath you. We only know who those people are when there's something like formal church membership. Membership affected behavior and the use of gifts. So we find in the Bible that being a member affected the behavior of people and the use of their gifts. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 says, For we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. So he's speaking in the context of a church. There's lots of members, and not every member has the same role, the same responsibility, the same office, the same level of authority. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members of one another. Having then gifts, gifts... Differing according to the grace that is given to us. Then he goes on to explain how those gifts ought to be used. But the whole context is the context of a local church having different offices and different different authorities that we are members of each other and so now as members of one another we use the gifts that God has given us to build one another, encourage one another And, and whatever God has given us you are supposed to use that to other members in your local church. And so it does affect the way we behave and the way we use our gifts. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, Paul tells the church of Ephesus, Wherefore, putting away lying, let every man speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So why do we not lie to each other? Because we're members of one another, right? Because we've made this commitment to each other. And it'd be so foolish. It, just like it's foolish to, to lie to your wife or to your husband. It's also foolish to lie to those people who, who are you're part of god's family within this local church, and so it does affect our behaviors um, when we look at the analogies that the church has given the way that God kind of helps us understand the church through the analogy of a body so so the church is a body and there's all these different elements of the body there's fingers and there's toes and there's arms and there's a nose and there's eyes and that's a great analogy, but I believe that analogy starts to fall apart when you try and somehow apply that to something other than a local church with a, a known membership. God is going to give those people, and, and, and in this group, there is, this is a body, and you've joined yourself to this body, and so then you use your gifts, you use whatever part you are for the benefit of the body. If you show up one week, it doesn't make you a member of that body. Even if you come on a regular basis, I mean, maybe maybe you like to come to this church in the morning and a different church in the evening because they have better preaching there. They probably do. Um, <laughs> you know, if, if if you have like this program, this this church has a great kids program. This that, that's great. But exactly what church have you become a member of that body where you are an essential part and you have a role to play? And if you don't play your role, then the whole body suffers. No. Oh, it works when you have joined yourself to that church. That you've committed yourself to the church, and the church has committed itself to you, and then you are part of the body. Okay? The analogy of the building, I could say all the same things. Remember Spurgeon? You can't just be a brick shouting, you're just as good of a Christian, right? You've got to be part of that building, part of that house, doing your playing your role. So church membership, I believe is seen very clearly throughout scripture. I believe, yes, there's not one chapter and one verse that, that, that specifically lays out exactly how the membership covenant should be laid out and how every church should word it and, and all of those things. But when you look at the New Testament, and you look at it's written to local churches, it's really hard to say, okay, great, I'm a member of the universal church, but I don't need to make any type of specific commitment to a local church. No, you do, because when you make that commitment, everything here makes sense. And if, if there's no kind of commitment made, then it's really hard to nail down anything. It's hard to nail down church discipline. It's hard to nail, nail down all the one another's in the Bible, right? There's there's 57 one another's speaking of in the context of the church. And so how do we know who's the other that I'm supposed to be the one to that I fulfill all those commands with? You know because there's a commitment made. And so church membership is, is following Jesus to a place where you can become more like him. You can become committed to a church, but not to Christ. So I want to make this very clear. Church membership is not the be-all and end-all, because it is possible to be a member of a church and not to be committed to Christ. But I don't believe it's possible to be fully committed to Christ and never desire to be committed to a church. The church is his bride, right? Listen, if, if you came up to me and said, hey, listen, Dan, I really like you. You're a great guy, and you know, I think we should spend some time together. But can I tell you something? Your wife drives me nuts. I mean, seriously, Tara can't stand to be around that, that girl. She's got all these issues and all these problems and she just bothers me. She rubs me the wrong way. You know, every time I'm with her, I just get frustrated and I don't want to have anything to do with your wife, but man, I love you. You're great. You know what i say? Get out of my face. <laughs> I, I have no time for somebody who is trying to tell me that I'm great, but misses this bride of mine, thinks it's not worthwhile, thinks it's unimportant. Well, the, my bride is important, Right? I love her, right, and so you go into the context of Christ in the church, he died for her, and so it is silly for us to think that we can have this great membership with this great relationship with Christ, and then say, yes, but I know that this is your bride, and I know that that 's what you 've given to me for my discipleship that this is what you 've instituted for the glory of your kingdom to grow and and for all these things to be done, that this is is your plan, but I don't want anything to do with that. It makes a lot of sense when you say, yes, I'm going to be committed to that. I'm going to play my role. I'm going to be part of that body. I'm going to use my gifts and my abilities to function. Uh, All of this makes a lot of sense in the context of being a member of a local church. And can I tell you something? Church membership... Throughout the history of the church, it's just been a normal thing. I mean, you, like it's it's fairly recently that you, we seem to have a lot of community churches that are just wondering about this idea of membership. But you look at, at just about every strand of the church, and there was something like church membership. Yes, it looked different in different cultures, but there was some kind of understanding of who is a member of this place, who is committed there, who is responsible for the place. And so we're not just kind of making this up out of thin air. We are to follow Christ, and I think part of that is following him in church membership. The local church membership is a question of biblical obedience, not personal preference. I believe this isn't just, I prefer this or that. I believe it's a a matter of biblical obedience. But as I said at the beginning, my goal, honestly, is that you'll walk away saying, this is what I believe the Bible demands of me. This is what I believe is going to glorify God in, in the issue of church membership. Martin Lloyd Jones said, We must grasp once again the idea of church membership as being the membership of the body of Christ and as the biggest honor which can come a man's way in this world. You become a member of the church, you commit yourself to it, and it is an honor. It is an awesome thing to com- to make this commitment. It's, it's a big thing. It's not it's not something to take be taken lightly or just do on Sunday because you kinda like the preaching that, that morning. No, this is a big commitment, but it is an honor. It's an awesome honor and it's an awesome responsibility. So I think Martin Lloyd Jones had it right. All right. So I, I know that, that the past couple weeks we have been kind of discussing some of these foundational things. I the truth is with um the title this week, I was thinking the titles were like role, rules and regulations or legislation and lists or commitment and coordination. All of those things were, were titles that came to my mind, and I thought, they're all super boring. And so don't even mention what the title is. Then I just did. Um <laughs> But I, I get that right now we're kind of just laying this foundation still. Next week, we will be building. Next week, we are c- going to talk about specific roles and responsibilities of church members to one another. And so now that we've established this idea that the church is important and that membership to the church is important, we can very easily go to, okay, so now that you're members, now that this is what this looks like, how do we, how do we play this out in real life? Okay, And that's what we're going to talk about next week. So we'll, we'll talk about the, the responsibilities of elders— to the people, of the people, to the elders, of the people, to one another, okay, members, and so um, we'll talk about that, we'll, we'll get into issues in the following weeks of church discipline and discipleship within the church, and then we'll speak about some more common questions, misconceptions, objections, I encourage you, if you have any questions or anything you want addressed, please put in the offering, or give it to me, or talk to me, or, or whatever you'd like, okay, Pastor,
0: observation. I'm sitting here listening to this about church membership. I think one of the challenges we have with this place is, um, of course, people have bad experiences with membership or churches, yep. which really sort of paint them, and then they come to a place where I think is very loving and kind and accepting and warm, and we try to meet those needs, and so they just feel sort of comfortable being here mm-hmm. without making that real commitment. Yep. And I think one of the challenges that we have and what we're trying to address is that um, the um, and the privilege of of coming with other people to say, I'm here for the long haul, mm-hmm. and I'm here to be shipped and molded and shaped and encouraged and corrected, that's kind of intimidating, but when it's done God's way, it's mm-hmm. a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. It is life-transforming. When mm-hmm. we get part of the church to understand not only the privileges, but yep. the awesome responsibility. Absolutely. We cannot grow into maturity. Yep. It's nice to be in a place where people love and care for you, but if you're not willing to make that commitment sometimes, uh, we miss out on that. Yep. And, and I think that's a challenge that we have in the church because I, I
1: think it's a nice church. Yep. You, know? I, you hit the nail on the head there because if I was to, like, uh, of the question that was asked at the beginning, you know, can I do all those things without being a church member? And, I, and the answer is, okay, yes, you can do all those things and you can, you can even experience, you will experience some of the benefits um, of being a church member just by being around them okay, as they live out their faith around you. But the two words that maybe define the difference would be commitment, and accountability and those two things they're almost necessary for some type of formal membership within the church i need to know who's committed you need to know who you're accountable to those things make sense when you have people that that step out and make the formal commitment okay and so pastors you're absolutely right it's it's wonderful that we have a church that is kind and welcoming and and going to make you feel at home but Truly what's going to benefit yourself and the church is when there's commitment and accountability.